Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. My turn to welcome you this morning. If you are a guest of ours, we want you to know that you are our honored guest. Uh, I know that it was an effort to be here today, and a lot of places you could be. And we're honored to chose to serve uh, or to worship God with us today at Bay Area. Not too long ago, I read an article that asked kind of an interesting question. And the question was, are Americans afraid of the wrong things? And the article had no spiritual overtones whatsoever. It was just simply asking a question. The things that we worry about, the things that make us fearful, are they legitimate fears? And then it gave some examples. For instance, which is riskier? Traveling by car, by bus, by train, or by airplane? And it's not a trick question. It's not even close, by the way. The riskiest way to travel is by car. Far and away, air travel is the most safe way to travel. And then is train, then bus, and then traveling by car. Uh, even though there's a lot more people that travel by car than plane, statistically and percentage-wise, it's still it's not even close. And yet, most of us know somebody who's afraid to fly in an airplane. But I doubt any of us know people that are afraid to ride in a car. They might be afraid to ride with you in a car, but I don't know anybody that's afraid to travel by automobile. Now, sometimes our fears are a little bit irrational. Sometimes they're not. I found a, a list of the things that Americans worry about the most. And it shouldn't come as too big a surprise that the thing that Americans worry about the most is money. Specifically, not enough of it. Right behind that comes jobs, futures. Things are sort of related to money again. Grown-ups worry about the health of their aging parents. Children worry about problems at school and fitting in and getting into the right school. Parents are worried about everything. Married people worry about their marriages. Single people worry that they'll never be married. And even though technology is making the world a, a smaller and smaller place, a huge number of people worry about being alone. This morning I want to talk to you a little bit about fear. What it is that scares us. And what God thinks about that. And what God has to say about that. We're starting to wind down this series that we've been in all this year, uh, being meant for more. And really it's a, a series on spiritual growth. What does spiritual growth look like? How do we achieve spiritual growth? What are the things that might hinder our spiritual growth? And I, I told you last week that I keep sort of moving away from a passage. I keep trying to at least, but it keeps drawing me back. And it's certainly become the, the anchor text uh, for this whole series a statement that Jesus made on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, where he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit. And last week we began looking at some things that might block the flow of the Spirit in our lives. And if you remember last week we talked about anger. The fact that we all kind of struggle with anger issues. And the idea that how we handle our anger 
actually allow Satan to have a foothold into our heart? Are we giving Satan a foothold? Or are we giving the Holy Spirit a foothold with our thoughts and our actions and in our reactions? And this morning as we talk about fear and anxiety, you need to know that the Bible has a lot to say about it. How we deal with those things. Paul would write a letter to his son in the faith, a young man by the name of Timothy. Actually, he writes a couple letters to Timothy. And Paul is going to talk about the fact that he serves the same God that his ancestors served. And he's going to talk to Timothy about Timothy's heritage in the faith, about his faithful grandmother by the name of Lois, about his faithful mother by the name of Eunice. And then Paul is going to make a statement to Timothy, and it should come as no surprise that it's the anchor text for this particular sermon. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. You know, sometimes you read a passage of Scripture, and it is really convicting. And it just cuts straight to your heart, and it's even a little bit painful. You know, kind of difficult to read. That is not the case with that passage. I mean, that is a passage that is good news for everyone. We can all rally around 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Because God is trying to tell us, I don't want you to live a life of worry. I don't want you to live a life of discouragement or fear. I want you to have this bold confidence in the power of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, God wants us to know we are not part of a timid movement. This morning, let me remind you a little bit of your heritage of faith. As far back as a man named Abram, we know him better as Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. You just go. I'll tell you when you get there. Abraham went. God led. And then God comes to a man named Moses. He said, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to confront the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And I want you to tell him to let go of all his workforce. In fact, I want you to tell him that workforce doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. Those are my people. Moses confronted God delivered. And then two men by the name of Joshua and Caleb go and, and spy out the land with ten others. Ten others come back from the promised land and say, well, it's quite a place, but we can't take it. The cities are fortified. There's giants living there. The people are too strong. But God told Joshua and, Abraham, uh, Joshua and Caleb, you tell the people that with my help, we can take the land. You tell the people to be strong and courageous. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord will be with you wherever you go. Joshua and Caleb were strong and courageous. And God did eventually deliver the land. God told three guys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't want you bowing down to any idol or any false god. Even if it means you being thrown into a fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bend, they didn't bow, and they didn't burn. God comes to a woman by the name of Esther, a young girl who thinks that she's really nothing more than just another harem girl. And it turns out the fate of an entire nation are resting on her slender shoulders. And Esther says, I'll go talk to the king. If I perish, I perish. 
She went to the king. She didn't perish. A man named Elijah defied 400 prophets of Baal. A young guy named David killed a giant with a sling stone and a rock. A man named Daniel spent the night in a den full of hungry lions and walked out the next morning. A man named Jesus came to his friends one day and said this, The world will make you suffer, but be brave. I've defeated the world. The world told Jesus, you be quiet or we're going to kill you. Jesus would not be quiet. And they did kill him. And they thought it was going to be the end of everything. But it wasn't the end of anything. In fact, it was the beginning of this brand new movement because God didn't leave him in the grave. God brought him back to life three days later. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And the people who allowed that spirit to flow through them, they, they prayed, and they worked, and they served, and they sacrificed. And yeah, they were persecuted, and they were arrested, and some of them were killed. But every time a, a Stephen was killed, a, a Paul was converted. And every time a Paul was put in prison, a, a Timothy rose up to fan the flames. Those are our people. That's, that's your heritage. That's my heritage. And the exact same spirit that flowed through those people, the exact same spirit with the same power that was working through Moses and Esther and David, that same spirit flows through us today. And yet for too many people, and I think too many Christians, we live a life of Worry and anxiety and fear. Think about that. Followers of Jesus living a, a, with a spirit of timidity. Why? Because the economy's taken a turn? Because I got a bad review at work? Because someone wasn't very nice to me? Because my 401k, which by the way is still the envy of 95% of the world's population, you know, dipped uh, 15%? Really? Is that what you're worried about? Is that what you're afraid of? Robbed of joy? You know, if we're living a life in fear, we're not really living a life in step with the Spirit. For God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. Not in your work, not in your speech, not in your finances, not in your relationships. We haven't been given a spirit of timidity. We've been given a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus is really clear that the peace he offers is not the same thing as the peace the world offers. It is so much bigger. It is so much better. It is so much more significant. It is so much more cosmic. He says, this is the real deal. This is the thing that can change your life. I mean, this goes to the core of your being. The peace that I give you, right with that spot where, where those rivers of, of water flow from. That's why we can put our lives in God's hands. That's why we can sing the song, It's Well With My Soul. 
Now, we know that song. We know the words. Hey, good times, bad times. It's well with my soul. Easy to sing. It's a lot harder to live. The conviction that everything is in the hands of God. And that God's hands are as big as they've ever been. And God's arms are as strong as they've ever been. And everything I do is sifted through the fingers of an almighty, all-powerful God. So far, I haven't told you anything that you don't know. Let me go ahead and tell you one more thing that you also are really familiar with and one thing that you'll agree with and you already know. This morning, you're worried about something. This morning, you're afraid of something. I know you are. Because we all are. There's something that we're all worried about. There's something that we're all afraid of. I don't know what it might be for you. You don't know what it might be for me. But we just are. In fact, some of us, you know, we just worry all the time. In fact, some people are like world-class worriers. And like in the Olympics, it's going to be an Olympic event, and you would be there with the curlers, you know, like a, an Olympic warrior. And then I know we're in church, and I'm putting all these scriptures on the board. You hear me standing up here saying, well, you're not supposed to worry, and that just makes you worry more, Right? You worry that there's something that you should be worried about. And in sermons like this, they really do more harm than good. Because the takeaway becomes, well, I'm not trusting God enough. And then you feel terrible about that, and so you worry about the fact that you worry so much. In the time I have left this morning, I want to share with you two ways to, to, to help our spiritual growth. Two ways do I think move from that spirit of timidity at least toward that spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And I'm going to tell you up front, the first point, the first way you're going to love. You're going to be all in on the first point. The second point, you're not going to love quite as much at first. But I think it's going to grow on you. Here's the first, uh, the first point, the first strategy that we're all going to uh, agree with. And it's simply the wonderful promise that God is with us. All the time. God is with us over and over again in Scripture. We read the promise of God that I am with you. One of the most quoted passages in all the Bible, Psalm 23. David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. I will not live in fear. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, where, by the way, we all live, I won't fear. Because God has given me another kind of spirit. A spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Paul says fear and perfect love, they can't coexist. Here's something I found kind of interesting. A child psychologist will tell you that every child needs two things. They need to know that they are loved. Without that information, without a safe place to know that I'm, this is my safe place, this is where I'm loved, without that, they really can't survive. And the second thing a child needs to know, every single child, they need to know that it's okay to do some exploring, to sort of stretch their boundaries, 
to take some chances. Because that's how, that's how children learn to sort of deal with the real world, right? You know, you, you kind of stretch your boundaries and you watch your children kind of learn new things and do some things that take them out of their comfort zone. So every child needs that. They need a safe place from which to explore. Now here's kind of the neat thing. When you think about how God created us and how God intended families to function, if a child is blessed enough to have two, family, two, two parents, there's usually one parent that sort of pushes that child to explore a little bit. You know, a little bit of risk is okay. Go on, you know, try it out, go for it. And usually, not always, and I don't want to be stereotypical here, but usually that's the dad, right? Usually it's that's dads that are going, hey, a little bit of blood, no big deal, wipe it off, get back out there. Go on, you know? That's usually dad. Just as usually one of the parents is a little bit more nurturing, a little bit more loving, a little bit more soothing. And again, not always the case, but usually that's mom. And that's exactly how God wired us to be. Because every child needs a safe place from which to explore. And you've been there before. You've been watching your small child play in a playground. Maybe you're at the you know, Chick-fil-A. You're like, go ahead, go on in the play place and play. Oh, I'll stay out here. And you watch them as they go in and they're trying to navigate it, maybe the first or second time. And you know, there's other kids, older kids playing, and they're, they're trying out the slide. And your child's like, I don't know. And, and they get up in the play place and they look around and they don't see you. You see them, but they don't see you. And they start to cry. What do you do as a parent? Well, if you're a dad, you probably say, he'll find his way out. <laughs> but if you're a mom, you go after him. If you have to climb up the, uh, the slide for a child or a granddaughter, you do it. Again, if this sounds like a true story, ask my wife. But that mom will climb up there and she'll hold that little baby and that little child and say, listen, I'm right here. I saw you. I was watching you the whole time. You weren't alone. You're okay. Now go explore. Go play. And they'll leave the safety of mom and, and move on and explore. Off they go. God's invitation to us is to run to him and allow his perfect love to cast out fear. Paul would say this about God's perfect love and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Your inner being. Your core. That place where streams of living water flow. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Where there's love, fear gets cast out, and then there's power. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, she may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So love casts out fear, and then there's power. And where there's power, there's more love. And where there's more love, there's more power. More power, more love. And we kind of get caught up in the flow of this thing. So that's the first point. 
That's the first strategy, is to remember that God is always with us. He never leaves us alone. That's the one you're going to like. Here's the second point. Again, the one you won't like quite as much. But again, I think you're going to come around. The second way, the second point is this. I can't just know something. I've got to do something. I can't just allow my fears to tell God, no, I'm not going to do that. There are things that God is calling me to. There are things that God has challenged me with. And I can't allow my fears to say, hmm, not comfortable there. No, I've got to do something. There's things that, that I've, there's actions that I've got to take. God told Joshua, as I was with Moses, I will also be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the one we all love. God told Joshua, I'm with you. Just like I was with Moses. I'm with you. I'm here. But then he tells them, be strong and very courageous because you'll leave these people to inherit the land. Joshua is told to remember, to embrace, to savor the fact that God is with him just like God was with Moses. But then he's told, okay, Joshua, now you've got to cross the river. I'm going to be with you, but you're going to have to lead the people into the land. You're going to have to take on those fortified cities. You're going to have to be strong and courageous. You're going to have to do something. See, here's the deal. Hearing messages like this about, about how God will take care of you, it is not enough to, to get rid of the fear that's in your heart. Just hearing the information, it won't do it. It's important. It's important to know that God is with me. God will not let me, uh, not leave me alone. It's important to know that if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. But that information alone, it's not going to calm your fears. You've got to do something. You've got to act on that information. You've got to trust. I want to see if this analogy makes sense to you. For several years, Martha and I and several other uh, adult chaperones took some teenagers up to Tennessee. And we, we did some things there. And one of the things, we, we stayed at this like wilderness retreat. And one of the things we did, they had a ropes course there. And every year we would do this ropes course thing. And one of the elements was a uh, climbing wall. And the first year we went there, we decided we're going to do the climbing wall the instructor got us all together and gave us about a 15-minute safety spiel. And he shared with us just how safe it really was. He said, this uh, harness that you're going to be wearing, it's, it's almost indestructible. The ropes, they're, they can hold five of you. You are never going to be in danger when you're on that wall. It's like a 60-foot wall. It's a pretty serious thing. You're never going to be in danger. There's absolutely no way that you can fall. So when you're climbing the wall, we don't want you to be afraid. We've got you. We're not going to let you fall. And everybody heard the same information. Everybody nodded their head. We all understood, yes, we're going to be safe. We all believed that we were going to be safe on the wall. When it came my turn to climb the wall, I realized my stomach wasn't listening to the safety spiel. In fact, here's a picture of the wall, and I'm pretty sure that's Jake Hodges climbing the wall. Um, he's about almost 60 feet in the air there. There's two cowbells 
that were on that wall. And I don't know if you can see the first one. The first one's right there. The instructor said, a lot of you are going to hit that first cowbell. That's a goal. Okay, a lot of you are going to do that. And I'll tell you why a lot of you are going to do that. You're going to be able to hit that first cowbell because you can hold on to the wall and hit it. There's a second cowbell, and you can't see it on the picture, but it was right up about here. There's no way you can hit the second cowbell and hang on to the wall. You will have to launch yourself backwards and hit it as you go by. Not too many of you are going to have the nerve to do that. So it's my turn to climb the wall. I get up to the first cowbell. I'm hanging on tight. I slap the cowbell. Okay. I look back over my shoulder. There's that second cowbell. And it is way back there. And I realize there's no way you can reach that. You've got, I'm going to have to go flying off this wall. So at 60 feet, I have a conversation with myself. This really looks high. It is a lot higher when I'm up here than when I was down there. And I'm looking at this little harness that I'm wearing. I'm thinking, do I have the one that has maybe a rip in it? You know, are these ropes really as strong as this guy said? You know, I'm bigger than these other little teenagers here. Is this guy ready? And I had this real fear. It was terrifying, i got to tell you. But what was even more terrifying was the idea of climbing back down and telling Martha I chickened out. You know, telling all the teenagers I couldn't do it. You know, all the cool kids were doing it. So I wanted to do it. So I'm up on the wall, and I think, okay, I'm going to go for it. But instead of launching backwards, I just sort of let go and kind of fall back and do this as I go by. I missed the bell by about 10 feet. But now I am hanging in midair, waiting to fall to my death, but I don't. I'm like, okay, hey, he's got me. Okay, great. And he slowly lowers me down. He said, good climb. I said, well, okay, but I'm getting back in line. And I got back in line, and I did it a second time, and again, there was a lot of fear there still. And I didn't exactly jump backwards. This time I sort of leaned, and I still missed it this time by five or six feet. But I got back down. He said, good climb. I said, I'm getting better. I want to go again. So I got back up. Here's a picture. I think this is still Jake. Uh, actually, when he's coming back down from his jump, um, I go up the, the third time, and this time I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I'm starting to think, okay, this guy does have me. These ropes are strong enough. This rigging is going to hold. You know, this is, this is going to work. So the third time, I go for it. I launch myself backwards into, into the wild blue yonder. I slap that bell as I go by. And it was such a great feeling. I don't know why, but it was such a great feeling. And he lowered me down to the ground. I said, good, good climb. Thanks. That was fun. I'm getting back in line. You might say that my mind was renewed about that third time. See, it's critical for how transformation works. We, we can't do it. Only God can do it. But we do have a role. And we do have a responsibility. And of course, the classic text on this is Romans chapter 12. We, we've been here a couple of times already in this series. But let me remind you, the first two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
You're not conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, that day on that ropes course, my mind was, was kind of renewed. Let me finish the analogy with, with the ropes course. And some of you might be aware of this. I am not a rock climber. I'm not a wall climber. Josh Klein might uh, know this already. I'm sure he does. But there's one critical moment at the beginning of the whole thing that really is the most important moment, I'm told. And that's when you're all kind of rigged in and you're ready to go. You say to the instructor, on belay. Belay is a French term for, I have completely lost my mind. <laughs> to belay a rope means to make it absolutely secure. To belay a rope means that it is fastened to something that's immovable. It means now I'm connected to a power that will not let me fall. I'm moving now from just receiving that information, intellectually knowing that information. Now I'm not just mentally agreeing with this. I'm taking action. Now I'm going to actually entrust my body Present it as a living sacrifice. I'm going to entrust my body to what I say I believe. I'm going to walk by faith. So you say, on belay. And the instructor says, belay on. And then you say, climbing. And the instructor says, climb on. And you're off. Off you go. The reality is, you could listen to this instructor's safety spiel a thousand times. You could memorize all the details and all the facts about the equipment and the strength and all those things. You could repeat it. That knowledge alone will not remove the fear from your life. Not until you say, on belay, belay on, climbing, climb on. Not until you put yourself in that position. Not until you climb that wall often enough that the fear starts to disappear. You know, too often people will read book after book. They'll sit in class after class. They'll hear sermon after sermon. They'll read their Bible day after day, which is wonderful, which is necessary, which is crucial. It's so important. But that information alone will leave you just as anxious and just as joyless as you've always been. It's not until you actually put yourself in the flow of the Spirit. It's not until you actually put yourself in that Spirit's power and love and self-discipline. And you say, okay, God, on belay. You know, the things that I'm worried about, the things that I stress over, the things that, that scare me to death, I'm trusting you. You know, maybe today you're worried about money. As I mentioned, most people are. And everything in you says hoard it, keep it, obsess over it. But you say, God, on belay. I want to be a good steward of the, of the gifts that you've given me. You know, I, I want to be wise in my spending, and I want to be wise in my saving, and I want to be generous in, in, my, in my giving. And you say, God, on belay. Climbing. And God says, climb on. I've got you. Climb on. I've got you. Or maybe you're worried about a lack of ability. So you don't serve. 
And you don't initiate, and you don't give anybody a reason to think that Jesus is the Lord of your life. You don't share your testimony with anybody. You don't introduce anybody to Jesus. It's sort of this best kept secret in your heart because, well, because that's a scary thing to do. How will they react? What will it do to my friendship? But maybe today you say, okay, God, I want to let people know that, that I'm in love with Jesus. And the reason that I, that I live like I live is because of Jesus. God, on belay. And God says, climb on. I've got you. Here's what happened on the ropes course that day. Ringing that second bell, it became contagious. In fact, once somebody proved that it could be done, everybody was doing it. We had eighth grade girls flying through the air at 65 feet, ringing that bell. It got to be just who could do it the fastest then. An interesting thing happened. Whenever one of them would ring the bell, or even if they didn't, every time they were lowered back to the ground, this instructor was an older guy, every single time to every single student, he said, good climb. That was a great climb. And every single student walked over and shook his hand and said, thanks. That was a lot of fun. I'm getting back in line. Here's what I want you to know. We really are meant for more. We have not been given a spirit of timidity. We have been given by God himself a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. You are going to go through your life one time. We got one shot at this thing. Some wonderful things are going to happen to you in your life. Some of your dreams are going to come true. Some terrible things are going to happen in your life. You're going to experience pain and, and heartache. You can go through life worried and afraid. Or you can go through life confident in the power of God. Life is too short. Joy is too precious. God is too good and our souls matter too much to throw away another moment of our time living a life just full of anxious thoughts, being fearful and worried apart from the Spirit. Because God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. And someday, someday, my, my greatest goal is to hear God say, good climb, Tim. That was a good climb. Well done, faith, good and faithful servant. I had you all the way. This morning, what are you worried about? What are you afraid of? What, what causes you angst? What keeps you up at night? Now, don't beat yourself up over it. Don't feel guilty about it. Turn it over to God. You know, whoever that person might be, whatever that situation might be, maybe it's health, maybe it's money, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's concern for a person, maybe it's an outcome that you desperately want to see happen and you're not sure it's ever going to happen. Maybe you feel like you haven't been good enough or, or spiritual enough or whatever enough even to, 
to come to God, what God is telling you right now is, I have not given you a spirit of timidity. I've given you a spirit of power. The same spirit that flowed through Joshua and Caleb. The same spirit that empowered Moses. The same spirit that allowed Esther to do what she did. That's the spirit that's flowing through you like streams of living water. You have not been given a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. And that's what God wants us to know. And today God is saying, climb on. I got you. Climb on. Step out on faith. Let me handle your fears. That's what God wants us to know today. That's what God's telling us. This morning, if there's anything that you would like to tell God, we're going to invite you to meet us at the front of the auditorium here. Let's stand and sing.